Welcome to episode 295 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps, and right now, many of us feel like we just want someone to swoop in and fix the world. That's where Franklin Rock comes in. Franklin Rock is the name of a fictional character created by today's guest, physician Mark Klein. After writing two books on purpose and happiness, Mark took a new approach to the message and created a character who goes on a mission to fix the world. Little did Mark know that he had created the exact hero we need for 2021. Mark is here to talk to us today about how this story came about, what we can learn from it, and how Franklin Rock can give us all a new perspective. Mark, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to have you here, and you're an unusual guest in that we have never had someone on the show that's written a novel, because that's not normally what we're about. We're about, you know, discovering happiness and discovering well-being, and normally that's through nonfiction. (laughs) And so it's interesting because you offer so much insight. There's so much wisdom in this book, and I wondered what made you decide to write this as a novel versus a nonfiction book? Well, I've written two other books, which are both nonfiction. The first book was written 15 years ago. It was called What Do I Do Now? A Handbook for Life. And in the introduction or preface, I say that the two factors most important for happiness, because it's a book about happiness, are relationships you develop and the accomplishments that you accrue in your life. The second book was more of a philosophy book, also, though, about life and really is about a very small topic, what the purpose of life is. I don't bite off small things, right? If you're going (laughs) to do it, go for it, right? So that book was about what the purpose of life was. I thought that was a great book. But, you know, then I realized what people really like were stories. Everybody likes a story. In fact, when I was teaching one of my kids how to write, I said, even if you're writing an email, make it a story. People love stories. And so I said, you know, if you really want to impact people, which is really my only goal is to just try and make the world a better place and make people happier in their lives and more fulfilled in their lives. I realized that a story might be a great method to do this. And so I, over the course of many years, I developed this story about a a character named Franklin Rock and his journey, his own personal journey and the people he meet that help him along the way. How did it take shape in your mind? As you said, it took you over a number of years. Well, let me process. Yeah, let me digress for a second. I'll tell you an interesting story. I was watching CBS Sunday morning a couple of years ago, and they had a woman artist on. She was very accomplished. Unfortunately, I cannot remember her name at the moment, but they were watching her create one of her large canvases. And they asked her how she did it. And she just looked up and said, you know, it comes from somewhere pointed up towards the sky, goes through me and ends up on the canvas. And I think anybody who's ever created anything feels exactly the same way. It's magic. And one of the things I talk about in my book, or we'll get to that later, are Franklin Rock moments. But these magical moments where things literally just kind of go right through you and end up on the page or a sheet of music or a canvas. And you look at it and you're done. You go, how the heck did I just do that? And then you worry, (laughs) of course, oh, my God, I'll never be able to do it again, which is, I think, what everybody who creates fears. So, again, I started out with with a story and I started out with a character. And I knew this character's mission was to try and fix the world. So I won't give too much of the book away, but Franklin Rock's mission is to fix the world. Because again, uh, a small topic to take on, right? A small topic because, and believe it or not, I'm one of these super optimistic people. I remember one of my colleagues once said to me years ago when something bad was happening in our medical practice, not, nothing terrible, but I mean, you know, a downturn for some reason or another. And I looked at him, I said, you know, there's another way to look at this. And he looked at me and said, you know, you're the only person I know that manages to find a silver lining in every single dark cloud. And... <laughs> 
I'm thinking, why wouldn't you want to be that way, right? Why would you want to be the person who brings the clouds into the sunshine, right? It's, there's no fun in that, I don't think, right? So, but anyway, getting back to Franklin. So it's a story about uh, a young man who discovers that he is chosen and he has, and chosenness to me is not a gift. It's more response, a sense of responsibility. So anybody who's chosen, it's not like you get a crown and a you know a bouquet of flowers and off you go. It's the other way around. You have been chosen to do something important. And so to me, chosen is his responsibility. And so Franklin is, realizes he's chosen. And then the first part of the book, a good part of the book is about his journey to figure out what it was exactly he's chosen for and what he's supposed to do. And once he figures that out, then the rest of the book is how he actually goes about doing it. And he meets some, meets some very, very uh, interesting, cool people, I think. And that's interesting, too, because you use historical figures and events to help tell the story. And so you end up with all these pieces of wisdom from many different minds. And then, as the readers will find out, you use them to offer great examples of forgiveness, human interconnection, things like that. So how did you choose or maybe it was chosen for you to who to include? How did you weave them into the story so naturally? Well, if you remember, the story begins with a discussion with a very short discussion with Albert Einstein. So I am, I would say it's fair to say, enamored, obsessed with Albert Einstein, one of the greatest minds in, of all time. And what Albert Einstein talks about are things that most of us think, well, I'm never going to understand that. It's Albert Einstein. The guy's a genius. How could I possibly understand these things he calls these theories of relativity? They're so complex. And they are. They are incredibly complex. But there are some very important themes that he uh, uncovers that physics, believe it or not, physics of all things, and who wants to hear about physics? But <laughs> physics, relativity physics is unbelievably cool. If people understood how time really worked, their entire lives would change overnight. And honestly, that's what happened to me. Once I began to understand how the world worked, meaning how time works, especially, it's an eye-opener. And it is, in many ways, so not only fulfilling, but so encouraging and so comforting. That's the best word. It's so comforting. For instance, I'll give you an example. And we talk about, Franklin talks about this in the book with some of the other characters. Most people think of time as that timeline we learned in high school or whatever. So on the left, you have Mesopotamia. And on the right, you have the future. In the middle, you got everything else that happened along the last you know, thousands of years. And that's how most people think of it. They think of time as each moment passes, the light goes off, that moment becomes dark, and it kind of falls into something we call the past, a big giant bucket that's basically gone. And then the future is, this, uh, then you have the present, and the future is this blank sheet of paper with nothing on it. Well, that's not how time works at all. The analogy I like to use is, and I think your audience is probably old enough to remember what jukeboxes are. They're still something around. <laughs> Here's hoping. Here's hoping, Right. So if you think of a jukebox, let's say you start out and you're going to play every record in order. So you start on the left side of the jukebox as you face it. You're going to play that first record. So the record comes out, you play the record. What does the record do? It goes back into its slot. Does the record blow up? Does the record melt? Does the record disappear? No, it just goes right back where it came from. And that's how all moments of time are. They never go away. The light never goes out. So if you were you know, dancing with your parent when you were 10 years old, you still are. If you were playing with your dog who you had as a kid and that dog you know, passed on, you're still playing with that dog. These moments never go away. And what that means to cut to the chase and what I find the most, one of the most comforting things I talk that Franklin talks about a fair amount through his adventures and his characters is that we never lose anybody. So think about that. 
Think about what that means. If you know that in reality, and it's not just because, you know, Mark here says so, it's because it's the way it works. You never lose anybody. Death, I like to say, is not what people think. And when you realize that, it is unbelievably comforting, especially in a time now when so many people have lost so many loved ones, you know, to COVID and the consequences. And of course, the, the other diseases that haven't gone away. The idea that nobody, that you never lose anybody, that every moment of your life lives on in its own place in perpetuity, just like the record in the jukebox. How great is that? And that's not metaphysical. That's not a myth. That's not a nice story I'm trying to tell your, your listeners. It's the way it is. How great is that? And to me, that has been, the more I've learned about time and about how these things work, the more comforting they are. And again, these come from science. I'm not making this up. This is yeah. pure science. And you talk about, in the book, you talk about how death is not something to fear. And you said something that I really liked, where it says the real goal is not longevity, but learning. So can you talk about what you meant by that? Yeah. So some of your listeners, I hope, are familiar with a, a woman who passed away in the last 15 years still, maybe more, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. So she was the woman who brought death and dying, the concept of the five stages of death and dying to medical students and nursing students everywhere in the world for years and still does. And some of your listeners may be familiar with the stages of anger and then acceptance and so on. So there are five stages, fine. But she's famous for that. But she got really interested in near-death experiences and death in general at the end of her life. And she would tell you that it doesn't matter whether you live a minute or a hundred years. Well, think about that. You go, wait a minute, that can't possibly be right. But it really all depends what the purpose of life is, right? So if the purpose of life is to get as much money as you can, get as famous as you can, and so on, well, then, you know, you need a lot of time for that. So longevity becomes very important. But if that's not what life's about, then longevity becomes much less important. I think there's a really, 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 really strong probability that longevity is not the goal of life, just as wealth and fame are not the goal of life. Really. I like to say the goal of your life is to start low, to quote Michelle Obama in a way, to start low and go high. So as long as you're making progress and moving towards becoming a really good person, a kind person, a generous person, helping others. In fact, there's a character in the book who I love, Maurice Burnside, who talks about the fact that, to paraphrase, when you put other people's troubles ahead of your own, the burden of your own life lifts. And so that, to me, is what we should be focusing on. And when you do that, it really doesn't matter whether you've lived 50 years or 100 years. If you've made it from low to high and you've learned what you need to learn about life, which is basically to love people, take care of people, help people, make as much of a difference as you can while you're here, then you've done really well. And it doesn't matter how many years you live. I think that's absolutely true. And that's really important right now. As you mentioned, a lot of people have lost loved ones in the past year. And the thing is, these are such big themes. And can you talk about how you were able to integrate them into this story? Because in listening to you talk, it might sound like, wow, this book is just going to blow my mind, <laughs> you know, because it's so quantum. And you did it really well, where it's, it's very conversational. It's just a lesson that somebody learns. Can you talk about how you did that? Because that to me was fascinating. You know, I let Franklin speak. I just kind of let each character speak. I have the, I don't know, the ability, the good fortune to be able to close my eyes and imagine these conversations and these events. And I know where I want them to go because as I said earlier, I'm a very optimistic person. I really believe that, you know, that life is a great thing. And really even the down, even those down moments are extremely valuable learning moments. And, you know, we're here for a reason. It's, and this is not all there is just to summarize quickly kind of my philosophy. And so, 
it was just, it wasn't hard for me as I went along to let these events play out and let the conversations play out and let the characters develop as if I was just, you know, watching them and being there, the observer. They kind of developed on their own. That's an ex- That's when you know you really have something, when you can follow the story instead of having to really create it. You just watch it flow and evolve. That's, I've had that experience myself, and it really is. It's a magical thing to witness. Completely agree. It's magical. That's exactly the right way. I couldn't agree with you more. It's magical. You go, how the heck did that happen? Right? <laughs> right? I agree with you. And you sort of have to write. You have to kind of let it happen. Sometimes when you write, and you kind of, some days you're just forcing. And I'll tell you what happened with me with this book, which was fascinating. It happened every single time. I kind of believe that each chapter should be like a piece of, you know, American cheese, individually wrapped so that you can get, you know, you don't have to like try to remember what happened, where, what, you know, so each chapter has its own, can stand on its own. And I would start writing a chapter and, you know, in the beginning, like most people who write and you kind of think, where am I going? And, you know, you spend two hours and you got a hundred words and you go, Let's, you know, and then all of a sudden, and this is the magic part you were discussing. All of a sudden, the character just pops alive and boom, off you go. And 3,000 words later, you don't blink an eye. It's, to me, that I think what you said, that it's magical, is just so true. I wish I could explain it. I wish I could bottle it. I wish I could sell it to people. I'd give it away. Right? If I get selling, I'd give it away because it's such a wonderful feeling when it happens. When did you actually finish the book? I started Franklin Rock literally 10 years ago. I knew I wanted this character. And I would, the way I write is I take notes and notes and notes and notes. And then all of a sudden I have like a hundred pounds of notes and I go, okay, well, maybe I'm ready. But with Franklin Rock, it just kind of evolved slowly. And then one day, it's on a Friday, I go to work, I see all my patients. I come home thinking I'm going back Monday and all of a sudden COVID appears and we can't see patients for a while. So it became clear to me that I was going to be home and not seeing patients for who knows how long, right? So I sat down. I said, okay, well, no excuse now. Get going. <laughs> and so I sat down and I'd gotten probably the first, I don't know, three or four chapters I'd sketched out over the course of the last six or seven years. And they just kind of languished. And then I said, okay, let's go. I rewrote all of them many, many times. And then I just kept going. And as I said, the, the characters just took on a life of their own. And I just kind of followed along and tried not to screw it up. And uh, I finished it. I think I finished it in the fall. So not too long ago. Do you think that the environment we had with COVID and with the divisiveness, with all the things that are going on, did that create a different story? Oh, that's a really good question. I think so, because it became to me even more important. I really do like that question. Nobody's asked me that. I haven't thought about that, but that's a really good question. (laughs) Yes, I think it has, because... I think watching all this negativity, all this fighting and arguing, and oh my God, all the politicization of everything, which is just a tremendous waste of time. You know, Franklin says in one of the chapters in the latter part of the book, he's uh, about to go talk to somebody who's been involved in an, in an altercation. And he's smiling because he's trying not to laugh in front of this guy. But he says to himself, I don't understand why people would be violent. There's just simply no gain in that. And it's so true. And there's simply no gain in all this political politicization and all this arguing and these uh, fraction, you know, this fractious discussions. And so I thought even more important to try and and get people focused on what really counts in life and what, you know, what, what we really should be focusing on. And it's really not that complicated. Yeah, because what strikes me about this is it really feels like the exact story we need for this time. And it does give you hope that we're going to come out of this not just COVID, but 
like you said, the political aspect and, and the divisiveness, it feels like, okay, we can come out of this and connect with each other and forgive each other and be okay again. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, what really counts is how we treat each other. And it, even, even simple than that, that we need each other. That's the whole point. That's why we're here. And if you focus, I tell my kids this, I say, if you just focus on other people, I'll give you an example. I always like to say, if there's one piece of cake left, your natural reaction is to say, one piece of chocolate cake, it's got to be chocolate. So one piece of chocolate cake <laughs> left, and you say, and you go, God, how am I going to finagle my way into getting that last piece of cake? Well, that's very stressful, right? Now you got to figure out how to outsmart your, the other people, and yet you don't want to look too bad. And, and the truth of the matter is, if you give that piece of cake away, you're going to feel a thousand times better than if you ate it yourself. Every single time you will feel better. I always tell people the end of the year, I love the end of the year because for some reason that's like most people when I give away all my, you know, charitable contributions. I mean, I'm yeah. not Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, but I sit down every year in December and I write out all these checks and I, you know, now it's online. I love that. I mean, I absolutely love that. I mean, it sounds crazy, right? But it's such a great feeling. And, you know, the older I've gotten and the more I've experienced this, I realize, oh my God, what, you know, why did anybody tell me this secret earlier? Why didn't my parents tell me you know, I don't criticize my parents. I mean, they, you know, people do the best they can, but I wish I had known earlier, or actually maybe it didn't matter. Maybe I had to learn on my own how, you know, giving that last piece of cake away is really the secret to happiness. You know, give the cake away. Like Mother Teresa must have been the happiest person on the planet. We look at her and go, oh my God, this poor woman, she was up to her eyeballs in poverty and disease and all in trouble. And But, you know, the bottom line is she was probably the happiest person of all because she got it. I mean, mm -hmm. most get it. But I mean, that's really it. You want to be happy? Like Maurice Burnside said in the book, put other people's troubles ahead of your own. I guarantee you, you will be happy. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot that readers can take away from this book. And there's so many different messages and lessons. But is there one main thing that you really hope that they get from it? If people walk away from this book, A, I think they're going to like reading it. It's a fun read. And with a smile on the face in the sense that that there is every reason in the world to be optimistic about life. That, again, as I said, death is nothing to fear. It's not what we think it is, that as long as you've spent your life growing in the sense of learning that taking care of other people, helping other people, kindness and generosity, and have you growing as a person in that sense is really all you're required to do. I like to tell people that you don't have to ever worry about what anybody else is doing. If somebody cuts you off in their car, that's their problem. You didn't do it. That's their problem. Why would you get upset? Now, full disclosure, I've gotten upset a thousand times when people <laughs> got me off my car because it's taken me a long time to figure this out, right? But that's really the way it is. So if you just focus on doing whatever you can to make other people's lives better, your life will be filled with happiness and don't worry about what happens. Here's one of the very important points in the book, and that is that there's no such thing as a best or right choice. And people go, what are you talking about? There are all kinds of stupid choices. Well, what I mean by that is you have no way of knowing ahead of time what the right choice is. And the reason that is, is because 8 billion people or 7 billion, whatever we got in the, country, the world, 7 billion, I guess, 7 billion people are making choices at the same time and their choices are going to influence your choices. And there's only so much you can control. Most of it, you're one out of 7 billion. Most of what's going to happen is out of your control. So don't worry about it. You never know which path is going to be right. There's no such thing as a right choice. There's no such thing as the best choice because you cannot control what happens from the beginning, from the second after you make that choice, it's out of your hands. So don't fret about it. Don't worry about it. Don't perseverate over it. 
make a choice, make what you think is the best choice and then go, because there's no way to know which is going to end up being the right choice and which is going to be, which is going to be the correct fork and which is going to be the incorrect fork. You have no way of knowing. So take the pressure off yourself, take the pressure off your kids, take the pressure off your friends, do the best you can and don't worry about it. That is excellent advice. Now, I know we have to let you go. When we come back, I'm going to tell the listeners how they can go and find out more about you and the book, where they can get it. But I wanted to ask you, the book kind of ends with an open door in that it seems like there could be additional adventures. So are we going to see more Franklin Rock books or is... uh... Oh, yes, we are. Okay. Okay. (laughs) God willing. (laughs) Very good. Very good. So we're going to get more lessons and messages from you? I hope. That's the plan. All right. Well, that's excellent. We'll be looking forward to seeing that. We'll follow this journey with Franklin and with you. But Mark, thank you for coming on the show and talking about this. This is really interesting, fascinating, educational, and entertaining. So uh, it's really a great read. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks again. That was Mark Klein, author of the novel Franklin Rock. To learn more about the book and where to get it, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.